What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. All right, this is kind of a special episode, which I say often, which has to make us wonder how special are all these episodes, but I digress. I have Bradley Mason on this week's episode. Now, Bradley is someone who actually is somewhat prominent in some of the circles I run in who are discussing CRT, really critiquing the evangelical response. And the unique thing about Bradley is that he has no formal education in this space. He just reads primary sources and reads like crazy and has become well-respected by people who actually are in this space professionally, which is really unique. And the reason why I wanted to bring him on is for two reasons. Number one, he knows so much. He really explains CRT well, explains some of the um, the misconceptions and, and how Marxism is and also isn't intertwined, but also he's proof that you don't have to have a crazy advanced degree to at least understand what is happening right now and to understand these somewhat complicated things, right? CRT is complicated um, and, and everything that goes along with it. So I, I brought him on as someone to tell you guys, listen, it's possible. You don't have to have a degree to learn about this stuff. Just read. All the information is there. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Bradley. That being said, I do want to say a sincere thank you. Again, we continue to grow. The podcast continues to expand And that is a major goal of ours. Honestly, now that I'm transitioning to doing new evangelicals full-time, we really want to develop the podcast to be better and better. So if you have any feedback for us, please email us. My email is tim at thenewevangelicals.com. We're always looking for feedback. And of course, if you can give this episode a rating, give the podcast a review, share the episode if you like it, that is so helpful. Don't forget, friends, I do want to say thank you to all the donors who help make the work that we do possible. We offer everything for free. There is no paywall at New Evangelicals because we don't believe in withholding help for financial gain. So instead, our model is we just ask. We say, hey, here's the need. Here's what we need. Can you help us fund this so we can keep doing the work? And because of your donations, I'm able to transition and to start doing this work full time, which is a huge, huge honor and privilege. It's tight. No doubt about that. Our budget is really, really thin right now, um, but we're able to start um, getting ourselves off the ground. So if you want to be a part of this work, please feel free. You can click on the link in our show notes to donate. It goes so far. It helps us out so much. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my episode. Interview. <laughs> here's my interview with Bradley. <laughs> Sorry. Talk to you later. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Amaveo Group. You might be wondering, Tim, who or what is the Amaveo Group? I'm so glad you asked. The Amaveo Group is a nonprofit organization that exists to see broken systems fixed in communities all over the world, including right here in the States. And they are looking for people who want to help. This group works directly with local leaders in their own context in places like Ireland, Mexico, Philadelphia, and Haiti. Now, let's be honest, friends. When many of us think about going to another country and raising money to go, we think about our missions trips as teens with our evangelical church so we could go and quote unquote preach the gospel, which in many cases meant proselytizing and colonizing and showing them a better and superior way of living, right? Which we do not want to do anymore. This is not what we're talking about. No proselytizing, just straight up help. 
This is also a way for you to get out of your own bubble and explore different parts of the world and experience the diversity of humanity while also doing good along the way. If you're interested in being a part of this, you can click on the link in our show notes or visit amaveogroup.org. That's A-M-O-V-E-O group.org. All right. I got to say, Brad, I'm excited for this episode. And also I have a confession and you can't get mad at me when when, when I tell you this. So my, I did reach out to Nathan Cartagena first and he said he was booked (laughs) and then I reached out to you. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Understandable. I hope you can forgive me. Um, (laughs) I got to say, I I very much am looking forward to this conversation. I discovered you with your review of um, Vody Buckman's book, Fault Lines, which I have read um, both the book and your review. And then I've also seen you in, um, you know, Dr. Cartagena really teaming up and doing a lot of very cool things uh, with um, Southside Rabbi and some other podcasts. So I'm looking forward to talking about kind of CRT, why it's bubbled up out of, out of nowhere, at least it seems like to us, to, to, to the lay people. But before we get there, why don't you kind of give us your background, how you got into this field of study, and, and we'll go from there. I would say um, general, generally, like many other people, I'd had probably five plus years ago started to write on race and racism and really started studying the history and understanding as best I could. Like, you know, my mind was rapidly changing about such things, largely through studying history. And then also at the time before from reading uh, Reformed African-American Network, which is now The Witness, mm-hmm. um, reading a lot of their articles from Jamar Tisby yep. and Ami and Hudson and, you know, other authors on this site. And then, of course, some other pastors that I knew and like one of my brothers was going to uh, a church in um, Virginia who and he would write on Reform African American Network. So it was kind of coming together and then people questioning me online, friends um, about the reform tradition and why it's so racist. And then me trying to prove that it wasn't and then kind of deciding that maybe it was. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. <laughs> so a lot of that went through. And then just as I started to learn, I started to write about it, you know, quite a bit. And then, of course, we came into a period where everyone was saying like, oh, that's... Um, what was it first? Cultural Marxism. Oh, yeah, that's cultural Marxism. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I, I know what cultural Marxism is and has nothing to do with it. And then it became uh, critical theory, you know. So then we're talking about, I guess, the Frankfurt School and stuff. And so I had some familiarity with Frankfurt School through Marcusa and Habermas just from old philosophy classes. And so I could kind of see, sorry, there's a fly nearby. Oh, um, no I can kind of see um, that maybe they're, you know, using some of those ideas and just applying it to race could be there. But I know I wasn't doing that. And no one that I knew that was writing about it was doing that. And then, of course, it solidified around critical race theory, which, again, at first I just assumed was something like Habermas, you know, applied to the question of race and just assumed that what it, that's what it was. But the more found myself in debates about it, I decided I'd better, you know, start going back and and reading the primary sources. And of course, as I read through, I became pretty clear that it wasn't at all what (laughs) most of these people were saying or or most of the accusations were coming from. They were just nowhere in the ballpark. And, and, And I found it like very interesting and 
you know, a very powerful uh, set of categories in order to understand race and racism and the development of race and racism in the United States. And so just kept studying from there. And just as I usually do, pretty much anything I study, I write about. So if I so learn are, something, I'll write about it. Are you primarily a writer? Then? Is, is, is that your main background, writing? No, uh, I'm a cabinet maker. Well, I own a cabinet shop, so that's what I do. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm online. I'm also a carpenter. So because Very I interesting. am also a carpenter. Yeah. So how did you get hooked up with, with, with Nathan then? Because you guys talk all the time, it seems like, together and publicly. I think that he had read things that I've written and, and then also online interacted. And then we started having phone calls and it was like, wow you get critical race theory, you get critical race theory. And then we had like, just talk all day long. So well, it's kind of actually, I gotta be honest. It's kind of comforting because a lot of times, you know, especially on the show, we always try and find, you know, people who are like the experts. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. not, I mean, I have, I have some college under my belt. Right. And right. so sometimes some of these topics seem like they're so out of reach for like lay people, like, yeah, Frankfurt school, is that a college? What is that? Right. What is Marxism? Right. So to right. have someone on the show who maybe doesn't come from, from, from like the professional academic PhD world, but can still, who has read the sources and can articulate it and be recognized by people who are in that world, I think shows that, that, that the education and the data is out there and it's available oh, yeah. for anyone to read and educate themselves on. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Um, yeah. I love so. that. So here's where I want to start. Okay. I want, Mm -hmm. I want to kind of talk about this, like, like I'm a five-year-old, you know, just child because I I get a lot of these terms in my head. I hear them all the time, right? Frankfurt school, Marxism, cultural Marxism, communism, socialism, CRT. It just seems like when it comes to right-wing evangelicals, which is the world that I deal with the most, Mm -hmm. any one of those is a synonym, Like they all mean the same thing. Evil, you know. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go through every single one of those. But I mean, for for starters, can can you kind of define like what cultural Marxism is versus like the Frankfurt School and how that does or does not tie into CRT? So I'm uh, well, Marxism proper obviously has its you know uh, own unique analysis from Marx. Um, I don't know how far you want to talk dive into Marxism, but maybe I can throw out some things that that would make it distinct from those other yes, traditions. Yes, let's okay. separate, right? Because right now, all we know is that is everything is one and the same. What are some major right. distinctions between like a CRT scholar and like Marxism proper? Okay, so like a proper Marxist perspective is going to uh, follow the, you know, uh, material dialectic or historical dialectic, right? Which is the basic idea is that the, the basic question for any creature is how do I eat? Where do I live? You know, how my, my substantive needs, right. Are basic. And so then Marx would argue that the means by which uh, a people group or, you know, a population or a nation or humans in general accomplish that task of, of gaining their own food and their own shelter and their own means of procreation. Since that's like at the core of like human existence, that's like the basic set of questions then everything else, ideologically, religiously, scientifically, philosophically, flows out of that mode of production. So, so for example, if, it, if, um, if your society is built around capitalism, then everything is, uh, your mode of production has 
to do primarily with owning property, right? And capital accrued from that property and then production and then, you know, using people as units of labor. And so he would say something like even uh, advanced mathematics is born of that because now that's a calculation system required in order to, to make the means of production work, right? Mm. Or those exchange systems. So mathematics didn't drive the capitalist revolution, rather the capitalist revolution created mathematics, right? Uh, So something like that, right? And so what you have generally in Marx is the concept of the base superstructure um, paradigm. So what you have at the base is the means and modes of production, like how does this population eat? How is their economy organized? You know, how do they answer all of their basic questions? And then you have the superstructure. That's the ideological system that is constructed from that base, right? So the base is primary. So for instance, if you want to understand why there's, you know, an oppressive ideologies or why there's, um, there's um, systems of kings and subjects or or politicians who did this, you know, like all of these social ills that you would like to discuss, then right. it's somehow being produced by the mode of production because that's the most basic element within the society. And so for Marx in particular, that that base produced the the uh, the bourgeoisie, right? And the proletariat, the owners of property, and then the people who actually uh, are the exploited labor class. Mm. And it's and it's the conflict between these two groups that are driving, right, um, everything that are driving the capitalist system through the future, right, into the future, and will eventually resolve through socialism and then into communism. So mm. basically what Mark's trying to do is he's looking at all of the set of basic like human problems and economics problems. And he's trying to give an explanation from it. And he thinks he has a scientific answer to where he could start back from, you know, the dawn of man and carry it all the way into the future by understanding that the means and modes of production, whatever they happen to be at a certain time, produce the culture and the ideology and all of the other systems. And also consistently produce its own set of contradictions, which in a sense, creates a tension that has to be resolved into a new system, which becomes a new um, means and modes of production with its own ideologies. And so it drives history forward in in that manner. So Mm. I would say what's specifically important about that is that in order to have orthodox or traditional Marxism, you have to understand the economic question to be primary, the means and modes of production. If you reject that, you make it anything else, you're not a Marxist. Right. Mm. Maybe you're a neo-Marxist or maybe you're absorbing, absorbing some concepts from there. But but if it's not the, the material base that is producing all of the social stru- structures and its contradictions, then right. you're not really an orthodox Marxist. So, OK, if you move into the Frankfurt School, that's yeah. kind of where where they're going is that Marx is wrong about all of those things. OK, that, mm. that they're that. The ideological system and the superstructure can also speak back to the base, right? It's it's much more complicated than that. They're going to take in someone like Gramsci, where it's like, no, it's not the bourgeoisie just controlling the proletariat and making them do whatever they want. And then it ends in a conflict. It's that the proletariat actually believes most of the same things that the bourgeois, the bourgeoisie do as well and 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 implement those things out of their own desires which then can carries on the exploited system. 
You use two right. big words that I need to break down. Um, bourgeoisie, is that correct? And oh, another yeah. word. So is that like the ruling class and working class? Is that what that yeah, is? So, well, or it would be the, the capitalists versus the laborer would be another way to say it. It's the people who own things okay. versus the people who do the work, right? Right. Jeff Bezos, um, employee. Yeah. So all the guys driving around in the blue vans <laughs> versus the guy trying to fly to the moon. Or right. Yeah. Okay. So really, yeah. so far what I got is that Marxism is is foundationally concerned about the economics and about the, the this working class and you know ruling class, for, yeah. for lack of a, a better word. And then the Frankfurt School comes along. Now, is that an actual school or is that just like, 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 a, like a school of thought, some kind of philosophy of thought, so to speak? Well, just to back up to make sure, because I don't want to narrow Marx too much, his concern was much greater. Okay. Right. But okay. his answer was the economics, right? Gotcha. That's like the brass tacks of human existence. How do we eat? Right. Right. Everything else is just ideas that come after and generally are produced by we, how we answer those first most basic questions. Okay. So he, he, he wants to answer the age old questions. He didn't come up with things like there's an oppressor and oppressed. We already had a long history of socialism before him and everything. Right. He's just saying like, aha, I have the scientific answer. I figured out how history works and I can explain where we're going and yada, yada, okay. yada. And, okay. and then, so his focus, focus that, that driving engine that brings humankind through history towards its ultimate uh, resolution to one's own alienation and yada, yada, yada comes through that the economic explanation or the means of mode and production and, and how that's organizing and breaking it apart and analyzing it so we could see how it's produced all our problems and yada, yada. So right? that is, that is like the crux of like yeah. everything else that's feeding into it. Yeah. Okay. So but when, you, when you come to Frankfurt, you can see, okay, so Marx had his scientific program that he was, you know, he, he, he was treating it like he was a scientist, you know, from the Hegelian background. It's like, I'm just applying pure reason and science and, you know, and then now I know all of human history and the future and, you know, mm. and, um, and, but none of those things happened. He, right. He turned out like pretty well wrong. Europe didn't go in the direction that he thought it would. Then we had the rise of uh, fascism, which was, uh, so the Frankfurt School would be a group of, of um, largely Jewish intellectuals in Europe who were Marxists, right? Uh, you can almost say formerly Marxist, but mm. I don't think they were like scared of the phrase Marxist, but they began to wildly depart from sort of those basic principles that would make Orthodox Marxism as it just didn't play out, right? So America should have been like further along launched into the proletariat revolution, you know, because we were at the height of the capitalist movement at the time, but instead we just became, you know, increasingly wealthy and, you know, disparity increased, but it, none of Marx's predictions played out. In Europe, you had just the opposite happen. You had the rise of fascism and Nazism. And, and so that was obviously a major concern from them being, mm. you know, Jewish intellectuals in Europe to the point where many of them, most of them moved to the United States. Um, I think the University of Chicago or one of those. And, and then they formed what's called, well, it's from Frankfurt originally, but they were still called the Frankfurt School of Theorists when they were here. Um, so mm. that the name Frankfurt does come from a school, right? They are the Frankfurt School. They were from Frankfurt, um, primarily met there. Um, but then they came into the United States, obviously moving into World War II. Uh, the Holocaust and everything is occurring. So that's like their, their main analysis is like, how the hell did we get to, 
you know, Nazi Germany from where we were. Mm. Mark, sorry, you didn't have any answers there. You got it wrong. And your little utopia you're building over there with this Stalin guy doesn't look that pretty at all, right? So they're aware that there's like basic problems like with his system. But what they did see is that that the uh, critical method that Marx employed, mm. right, did have a lot of promise. Um, the idea that, wait a minute, so maybe when we see social ills in society, it, it we shouldn't look at it just as it is on its face. Maybe there's something deeper within like the basic systems of how things work and, and mm. that we don't see that produce those things. You know, how much of our, our daily life um, and around us, it seems natural, normal, and just and unchangeable are right. really like historical constructions that like through yes. the course of history, we've kind of built these things up and now they seem completely normal and they're producing their own forms of alienation for human beings. And, you know, so, well, so I just you, want to interject really quick. You don't mind, Brad. Um, yeah. I, that puts a lot of like good language. So I think what a lot of us have thought about in our own personal life without knowing that we're participating in that cycle of, of, of critical theory, I guess, in a way, you know, of like, right. wait a second, if, if there was no us, the ground I'm standing on would still be here. It's just, there, there, there's like a map of things over the actual land. And there's a system over top of it that kind of dictates the property taxes I pay, right? right. For example, right. things that right. are so foundational to this is how the world works really at some point was invented and instituted. And I'm a, I'm a part of that. Is that kind of the right. idea of, of, of what we're talking about? Yeah. So you could take something like, like later theorists, theorists, probably critical legal studies and such point out something like property. It's like, well, we believe in private property. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, like I own my things, all right? They're mine because like I bought them. Right. Oh, so what do you mean by you own them? So uh, you can smash someone over the head with them? Oh, absolutely not. I can't do that. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, what happens if you sell it? How much can you sell it for? You know, do you have to be approved for this? Right. You can start to see that the, what is such a basic concept of that's my property is really just like a huge statutory system built up over centuries. Right. That's what it actually is, even though we ride around with some metaphor in our mind of what it is. So, right, so things right. that seem like super basic, right, on the surface upon critical analysis could or could be, you can start to see their contingency, how they could have been a different way, right? Mm -hmm. That there's, there's nothing uh, um, fundamentally unchangeable about much yes. of the furniture of reality, which is kind of where Frankfurt's coming from. And then, you know, they'd like to talk about things like the culture industry, you know, commodification, like yeah. you can read these long things from Adorno and Habermas about like what happened to like the idea of a painting, how a painting can transition from art to something that's just mature, mass produced and isn't mm. now even art anymore. And then how we end up doing that with human beings. And ultimately, I think we can all agree that that there's many basic human things like sex or anything else that that has is considered a commodity because of the kind of economic society that we've created. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's everything is, is love, hate, joy. Anything is something that needs to have a, a economic value, a mm. trade rate. Right. Right. So, so they're analyzing society sort of using Marx's critical tools without his sort of scientific basis or his, um, or his basic and specific based superstructure paradigm. Right. So they wouldn't, they would consider themselves in many ways uh, critics of Marx, but people like Marcuse might go as far as say like, no, no, I think that we captured what Marx was doing and mm. should have been doing without all of the, 
you know, the, the failed ideology that was originally included. So like kind of refining Others a little bit, know. refining a little bit, like, okay, Hey, yeah. here's, here's some good stuff. Here's not some good stuff. This seems really, you know, promising. Let's, let's keep developing it. That kind of idea. Right. But if you went to someone more like Habermas or Adorno or others, then, you know, I don't even know that they would call themselves Marxists, but they understood like his importance in the development of, of the critical tradition. And we, we see the same now, even in just basic sociology tests, Text, right. I mean, every sociology book is going to be like, who are the founders of sociology? And you're going to hear uh, Durkheim and you're going to hear Marx and you're going to hear Weber, at least those three. Right. Because they all made major contributions. And that's, you know, one of Marx's major contributions hmm. to to the understanding of sociology. And and we kind of all think that way. Too, when we, I mean, increasingly, the more, the older you get, hopefully, the more you read, the more you think, start to see things that you thought were just like, oh, that's obvious. How can anyone question that? Start to yeah. become like, wait a minute, that has roots somewhere like yes. really weird, and I gotta follow it out, and then I can yeah. kind of see better why we act that way. You know? Yeah. No, so. I mean, I definitely in my own life have have been more and more thinking about exactly what you're talking about. You know, there's been days right. I'm sitting out on my front porch like. Man, like, what is this society that I live in? Yeah. You know, just like yeah. I yeah. guess some people call it like an ex- um, existential crisis, but I think for a lot of us, it's just what you're talking about. Like, we're just realizing that while, of course, there's always good things in life, that a lot of things like they came from somewhere. Things have right. come from somewhere. Someone at one point started laying down the foundation that we're sitting on now, and things weren't always this way, right? Like the industrial right. revolution is like a hundred something years old. It's not exactly like you know ancient. Right. right. So right. We're, we're kind of in a historical moment. We're not the historical moment almost like a way of seeing it. Yeah. And somehow sometimes our perception is so poor that like, you know, right now in America, we, we talk like there's a, a, a debate between the right and the left. Right? right. Yeah. Whereas if you like study American history or even European history, you start to there's no left in America really at all. <laughs> like it doesn't even exist. Like, yeah, it's so weird that how like the terms of the debate itself can like set up the world of possibilities yes. so that in a sense, we're not really even choosing, right. you know, we're coerced at a much more basic level. Like I'm right. think I'm fighting the power, but I'm just on the little smidge to the side of that power. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm watching even right now with Biden, with the Afghanistan situation, it's very like, this is very, you know, like right politics, you know, yeah, the way yeah. he's, he's, he's approaching it. And I, it's funny, a lot of people on my account, you know, it's often we, we get called, Oh, you're just socialist, whatever you're, you're progressive. I'm like, guys, if we're this far right, I'm just moving us like here, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like, trust me, we are not far left. I promise, you know, right, right. but it just seems like you're absolutely correct in our society. We really think like there's some, you know, this is due to so many things that the talk radio industry is a big one, you know, that there's some radical, like far out there left crazies. that just want to like demolish America. And it, right. it's just such a load of manure. I mean, the more, the more you learn, the more you're like, this is even close oh, to yeah. far left. Yeah, like, so they're worried he's going to turn a socialist by increasing the top marginal tax rate. You mean, like, is it at 92% like it was under the Republican Eisenhower? Or like, we're so myopic in... Yeah. Right. Anyways. So, so let's kind of, you know, okay. So that honestly, that is very helpful, Brad, to kind of have just at least like something, some, some new shelf space in our head for some of these categories. Right. So I do Mm -hmm. feel like right now in our society, 
Um, I, I, for lack of a, of, of a better term, I would say a lot of right wing and, and evangelicals and both kind of have like the monopoly on these terms in my, in a, at least my head. Um, so how does you know, I'll put it this way. From my knowledge of CRT, my tiny knowledge, right? It was kind of formed in the 80s, kind of based off the idea of critical theory, but with more of like the, the uh, so, uh, not social justice, the civil rights movement kind of at play. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading um, um, a Derek Bell book right now. He kind of talks about how Brown, um, the board you know, of education, that, that whole case wasn't really maybe like what we thought it was as far as how it was enacted. So it seems to be like a legal study primarily, and it has existed since the 80s. Yet, as of like maybe eight months ago, everyone and their mom and even to local circles like thinks it's like the newest, you know, America killer. Right, right. Where, yes. where, where do we go wrong? Well, I mean, if we go back, critical race theory is just the traditional abolitionist and civil rights movement, right? But it is critically transformed to respond to the, the, the new legal era following the civil rights movement, right? So, yeah. so now we've made um, discrimination illegal, right? We have all these anti-discrimination laws, yet right. racial disparity persists. And in fact, now is considered to be natural and normal and the, and the fault of African-Americans or people of color themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sort of kind of the, the retrenchment following the civil rights movement was to say, okay, we've outlawed racism and now we should all be colorblind and create systems of equal opportunity, right? Right. And so it's done. And so whenever then there's disparity, it's that, well, I guess those people just don't work hard enough or they're not smart enough or yes. they're incapable. And so critical race theory is like carrying the civil rights movement and its legal ideology um, through this post-civil rights backlash to denaturalize or explain why there's still uh, so much social and economic disparity between the groups, even to the point as it was prior to the civil rights movement. Yet we have all these laws in place, right? Right. So the more people like like Alan Freeman and Derek Bell began to dig and analyze and, and people need to know that, man, what is that weird light? Um, <laughs> I think it's the sun. Yeah. Um, the um, Derek Bell himself, you know, was a litigator, longtime litigator for the uh, legal defense fund and the NAACP. So, you know, he is in the trenches of, of employing and, and pressing all of this new civil rights legislation and, or more than anything, uh, the Brown versus board decision to integrate schools. So he's at the front lines participating in that. And, and even early on in the seventies, right. He's already seeing like, yeah. okay, this isn't changing people's circumstances. It's right. all it does is create like a different form of the same system that was before, but now it's legitimized because it has the law behind it. It gives one a veneer of respectability and you always have, you know, plausible deniability to, and you know where it is now. I mean, it's gone so far to where we could have a case like, you know, early on in the seventies, Greg versus Duke power, where, where a company that formerly, um, legally discriminated right prior to the 1964 civil rights act. And then afterwards couldn't. So then created tests yes. that created the same results, but the court saw through it at the time and said, you know, no, we, we see what's happening. <laughs> like we're talking about 10 years ago, the change, the distribution within your business hasn't changed at all. Right. So they were, you know, uh, Duke power did violate title seven, according to the Supreme court. Right. Um, and then, but not too much later, we're now to the point where it's impossible to 
to, to win an anti-discrimination law or anti-discrimination case. This light situation is hurting me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, it's like a, 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 a Saul a light on the, the road like... to Damascus moment here. <laughs> <No>. you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, so to, to where now there basically is no anti-discrimination law. It, it doesn't exist anymore, right? So if you bring a case and unless someone said, I'm doing this because I hate enters, right? Right. Then, then there's no way you're going to win an anti-discrimination law because it's come to the point where they require malicious, proof of malicious or invidious retent, intent, meaning you need to know that someone in their mind created this blatant obvious despair it doesn't even matter how blatant it is with right. like the intent to harm people because of race and if you can't prove that then you don't have a case right right so so they saw all this coming like ages before mm. and so but to go to go to how crt has made it into the popular conversation oh, now especially in evangelical i mean you know people are writing books about it who aren't even qualified to write books about it like, oh, yeah. I, I even as someone who knows so little read Vody's book or Vody's book and said this is not a well-written book at all this is like a fox news article i mean it was it oh, was yeah. truly sh- I, I was truly shocked when, when, when i read it yeah so it's it's terrible i mean <laughs> it's really 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 well, I, the re- that's the sound of me prepping the grill with reynolds wrap and the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Spring is basically a second holiday season. Mother's Day, Father's Day, weddings, the list goes on. And what better way to celebrate them than with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly is the easiest way to shop local stores and compare prices on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered to your door. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. So why people ask me, they go, Tim, why is it not a good read? And I said, listen, let me, let me be transparent. I'm, I'm not reformed anymore. I come from those circles, but I walked away from it for a lot of reasons. But I know that body is seen as like a heavyweight when it comes to like like reformed theology. And I was really looking to read like, okay, what is his biblical argument for why this is so unbiblical? It's just not there. Like, like handpicking right. Bible verses and applying them to CRT yeah. is not a biblical argument for why CRT yeah. isn't biblical. It does not right. work. So right. very disappointing. And then the complete inability to even describe what right. he calls the subject of this book. Right. right? right. He's incapable Absolutely. of even describing. So it should be a non-starter. I, I imagine it's just being eaten up because people already thought that way. And now they think they have some firepower to use, you know, right. I, so I can't how, imagine anyone's reading that and learning something new, or I, I don't know. It probably reinforces the belief of, oh, this is bad because it talks about race. But my question is like, how did, why CRT out of all the different things, you know, like, like what, what person made the phone call? Like, Hey everyone, uh, CRT, yeah. it's our newest boogeyman click. You know, like, like, how did that yeah. come to be? Well, I think that it had come up before um, when Obama was running for president the first time. So they were trying to make the Jeremiah Wright, mm-hmm. you know, the radical preacher who, you know, hates America. Right. And then he was educated by Derek Bell. They pushed that at uh, Harvard, okay. right? And, and critical race theory is this wing nut, you know, basically reverse racist group of scholars. And that's where Obama came from. And they really pushed that hard. Hannity was trying to push that and everything. It just didn't, it didn't take at the time. Right. Um, and I think what's been different about this, this last iteration. So 
I mean, more broadly, what we're seeing is what critical race theorists would call the reform retrenchment dialectic, mm. right? Mm. So after the Civil War, then you have the Reconstruction Amendments, and then you have the, the, the North, you know, leaving troops in the South, allowing uh, former slaves to set up businesses, giving them property, creating banks, blah, 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 blah. And then America, you know, endured that together for less than 20 years. And right. they were like, eh, I think we've done enough. And, right. and and besides, we need all those votes in the South. And, and they're our brothers, really. You know, this is a squabble between brothers and we need to get mm-hmm. past this. So then basically just completely disenfranchised the former slaves in the South left them to their former masters to Mm. create a whole new system of exploitation that lasts for another 150 years. Mm. Right. Mm. So you can see that reform, you seem like, Oh, we're right there. I mean, you can read it just reading someone like Frederick Douglass, just following his timeline through his speeches. And it's like, we, you better blah, blah, blah. And then now it's like, victory and then a little bit later like wait a minute what right. like right. we have the same system again how did we right. get right back here you know square and, one and, and he's arguing through against you know congress like uh, and the president they vetoing civil rights legislation like well that would give special protections to black americans right right that's exactly. the reverse racism reverse argument right. in 1880 <laughs> right is, you know right And then so then we just saw the same thing again, obviously, going through the civil rights movement. You see the backlash. Basically, the whole civil rights narrative is rewritten for popular white American consumption and then, in a sense, used against the ideology of the civil rights movement. Right. Right. You can just see that with Dr. King. He can he's an embodiment of the retrenchment process. What he actually said versus what every American right. thinks he said, right? Yeah, yeah. He's become a preserver of white supremacy mm. in the mouths of the white majority, like, right? Following yeah. that, so so there was a whole system, a legal system, an ideological system of retrenchment that was very successful. Obviously, led up to Nixon, Reagan. I mean, we had the whole nation has turned so far right beyond where it's you know any American could have ever dreamed. George Wallace in a sense, became president <laughs> under Ronald Reagan right. and now is like uh, is like a, a godlike figure to half of America. Right. Right. The right. exact ideology of George Wallace. Right. Minus the N word. Um, right. Right. Anyways. Right. So we, so critical race theory is responding to all of that. And so their analysis are, are I'd say, much more powerful, much more dangerous because they can see how formal legislation can be weaponized to entrench, um, you know, long-standing disparities and make them seem normal, natural, and just. And so I think it's dangerous already um, to, to the white establishment. But what happened this last time around with these protests, um, maybe even going back to the start of Black Lives Matter, you know, Mike Brown, definitely Trayvon, and then of course the, the big blow up after uh, George Floyd. Yeah. And what, and what what made it different than other time periods is people were no longer settling for the idea of the few bad apples. Yeah. Right. People right. started saying, no, 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 there's systems, there's something deeper. Right. Yeah. So this now we're getting into an analysis where where you know uh, our lovely grandmas in their homes before were like, yeah, I don't like the KKK either, and they should be shut down, right? To now saying, wait wait, me and my political beliefs and right. the systems that I've invested in and, you know, American pie and, you know, everything right, else. like right. And baseball, like yeah, yeah, everything American. Those are being questioned. Do you see? So 
So I say that through those experiences, the analysis itself began to shift to where, you know, no, no, there's a more basic, there's a more fundamental uh, problem afoot, right? Yeah. And so I, I would say that this backlash is, is responding to sort of the beginnings of a general consciousness of something like systemic racism or, or racism embedded in structures or, or an idea that should have been comforting that's saying, yeah, I know you're right and I'm not saying you're racist. But, you know, maybe you also are affected by a wider system developed over the course of hundreds of years. And you know what I mean? Totally. Totally. So I think that shift is politically very dangerous. It's it's dangerous to people's own consciences. It's it's dangerous to people's own, uh, you know, social philosophies that they just think that they develop by observing nature not understanding they received it from their parents and their church and like a whole developed historical system. Um, So when all that's getting pressed upon that, that's prime territory for another backlash, another period of retrenchment. And so I'd say more than anything, CRT is a victim of that historical progression Mm. that, that it was something if it wasn't CRT, CRT fits the bill because it's, you know, giving deep legal analysis and other things. And then we can also see if you then are someone like uh, Christopher Rufo, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And you you know, you can make a lot of money off of this backlash. Then if you, you can go to like the diversity trainings and then you can discover, oh, kind of what's behind this and who's writing these things, right? And, and you can kind of then start to make enough connections to where you get to this obscure seemingly radical, even their colleagues think they're Marxists and they're like the left wing of intellectualism that nobody really knows about or fully understands. Right. So it's kind of like perfectly prepackaged to be, you know, uh, uh, to be a second red scare, you know, just like they did with communism, Marxism or anything else. It's kind of prepackaged. Most people don't know what it is, uses weird terms, I can easily pull a sentence that no one understands and I can make it sound really scary. Um, it's, right. it's totally, you know, an academic legal field. So not many people are actually going to go in and like read and figure it out. Right. Um, right. I mean, it, it sounds like I, I want to give two observations here and you're really saying great stuff. Number one, I definitely feel that moment that you kind of mentioned maybe two minutes ago, where you said that like people were waking up, that there was something deeper than just like these, these bad apples. I mean, when I saw the video of Ahmaud Arbery getting hunted down and murdered, I saw George Floyd. Those were the two videos for me that I said, Whoa, I don't know what I I don't have like the knowledge of, there's intuition. Something in my gut is saying something is way wrong in America right now. Like there's something way deeper than just Oops. Right. right? Well, Mm -hmm. one bad accident. And so I, I I think you're absolutely right. I think that there was this kind of general consciousness awakening for so many of us and a lot of us in church as well, who really saw the rise of of Donald Trump as so problematic, you know, and we're like, kind of like, guys, like this is our, this is the evangelical church, right? Like, is this really happening in our circles? (laughs) Then we see the George Floyd Amon Arbery stuff happen. Then we see a lot of the pushback from those same Christians. Right. So I definitely think that 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 that's totally accurate, and I, I yeah, it's it's really wise for you to say that. And I, I think the other thing important is that it sounds like a lot of what you're saying with like why CRT was kind of maybe picked, you know, well, we'll say maybe accidentally, intentionally, right? Like maybe it wasn't perfectly. This is going to hit, but it did. Is is the 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 ignorance? Like it's intentionally keeping people ignorant and feeding them 
convenient talk show host. And I grew up, I grew up on Limbaugh, on Hannity, right. on Levin. I mean, oh, yeah. that, I mean, eight hours a day painting with my dad at construction. That was what I did. I was homeschooled. That's what I did. Right. Right. So right. I remember when Sean Hannity play, played an entire Reverend Wright sermon on his yeah. radio show. I, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So, so these, these, these hosts of, of these shows have the ears of millions of people, mainly white evangelicals, and whatever right. they feed them, they have convinced them that, oh, we have almost like this secret knowledge that right. people just don't know. But it's really ignorance. I mean, it's pure ignorance. Change my mind on that. Am I wrong? Right. Oh, it's definitely in- ignorance. You know, it's an intentional ignorance, yeah. um, organized forgetting, you know, it's that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So, so. I don't know when you when you see it develop. I don't know how how closely you watched come be come to be. Like you know, you remember people within the SBC started talking about like oh, yeah. critical race theory. I mean, and it was clear they didn't know the difference between it and anything else. Right. 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 Any other any other uh, school of anti racism or. Or they could tell the difference between Marxism, cultural Marxism, Frankfurt School, critical right, race theory, right. or any of the traditional civil rights movement. It Ibram was just Kennedy all like is one not thing. a CRT scholar. Stop right. confusing his yeah. books, right? That kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was just all lumped together. Um, but it was scary. And and then they started to explain, like, yeah, you know, people are leaving my church, like uh, black people are leaving my church because they've been infected by this ideology called right. critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And then you could ask them and they'd be like, critical what? Right. Like, right. you know, right? <laughs> they had no right. idea what they're talking about, you know, right? like, right. no, I'm just seeing that what my grandpa, right? And my grandma and my parents and everyone's told me my whole life, it's literally playing out, be, you know, before my eyes. And so right. I know there's a problem. You know what I mean? Totally. And then the other side's like, they must have been infected by some demonic ideology. (laughs) Well, that that is what's so, and I, I, we have about 20 minutes left. If, if, if you can spare that, I I do want to kind of turn the ship here to like our evangelical culture, right? And this is like the the wheelhouse that I'm in with with my account, social media. And, and um, I try and be as plugged into all this as I can. Um, I follow everything I I possibly can as as much as I can. And, and one of my questions is, I don't understand like where the actual unbiblical argument comes in because I think CRT, as far as I know so far, has some things that like, I think are like, wow, that's actually a great observation. And as Christians who are our right. core foundation is repentance, right? right? I mean, that is like 101 to the Christian faith. Um, we should be able to recognize that if there were systems built for oppression that are still happening today, even if we didn't know before, right? Not, not right. even saying it's directly my fault, but if I'm right. a part of that and benefiting from that, right. I, as a good Christian, I probably should repent. <laughs> I probably should right. try to make the wrongs right. I mean, I, I think about Zacchaeus, right? I mean, 101, he wronged right. all these people, he repented and he gave back like four times what he took. So right. so I don't understand why this crazy um, aversion to something that at least at a foundational level, I see compatible with the Christian faith completely. Yeah, um, I, I don't understand the arguments myself, especially after you read critical race theory, which is mainly law review articles that could care less about like 
bad people versus good people, (laughs) but more about like, you know, uh, you know, such and such, the Warren court's decision on X, (laughs) Y, or Z is what they're actually writing about. Super legal jargon, frankly, right? Something over over my head completely. Yeah. So they, they obviously want structural changes and everything, but I was just even like listening to Devin Carbato recently and he was trying to explain, he's like, he's like the individual's psychological states and whether they're good people or bad people is downstream from anything I'm interested in mm. at all, you know, right. <laughs> <I'm talking laughs> right. About something else entirely, but, but right. Christians, especially those in sort of the Christian apologetic tradition, you know, everything has to be turned into, to the opposite of Christianity or a competitor of Christianity yes. or, you know, one pole versus another pole. Everything has to be cast in that light. Cause it's like, everything is just part of an apologetics program, like, yeah. you know, winning an argument for the faith or anything like that. You know, you don't point. even, you don't even read a non-Christian, you know, in order to see how can I be changed by this and understand right. better, you read it to find the sentences that I can use to prove my own side at some point or another. That's right. A great so, point. Yeah. So, so good. and as Carter Haynes says, that's just basic uh, imperialism and colonialism within yes. our own minds. When we approach yes. the other scholar, right. And their texts, we're yes. just like mining it for the resources we may need for our own empire I and am- discarding the rest. I am starting to the very beginning of realizing that in my own life. Like I, I yeah. am no, I'm no expert. Don't look at me for any of this, but I am realizing I'm starting to see the lens of, right. wait a second. Like that's just like pure colonial mentality or that's just pure white mentality, right? Like, right. Oh, let's take it, flip it, take out the, the things that we need to prove how wrong it is and be right. changed at, by nothing. Cause we have God on our side. Like we have the evangelical God specifically the right wing right. evangelical Trump loving QAnon, you know, COVID's a hoax God. And right. he will defeat everyone. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's that these things are yeah. all, they're all tied together. They really are. They definitely you know? are. And, oh, and when, yeah. you, when you have Sean Foyt out there with the Proud Boys and no one in evangelical right. circles is talking about it, you're yeah. like, okay, we are like, we're so far. We're so off the damn mark. And yeah. that's how I think a lot of us are, are, who are waking up to what you're talking about, like that colonial, colonial you know, just um, imperialist mentality of like, wait a second, like it's not built on actual, dare I use the term biblical, you know, Jesus centered values. It's really co-opting Christian language and in the Bible to fit this white colonial, you know, colonizing mentality. And then that's our Christianity. Right. And treating who we consider the pagan uncivilized world of minority scholarship yeah yeah as though we can just plunder it for our own needs and not listen to anything they might have to say that would change us or affect us and just discard it right yes so and i think that's how most of those texts are read when someone does go and and open up a actual critical race theory text it's yeah it's just a now we're just mining for a sentence that i can put on the internet out of context to say, see, they don't believe in objective truth. So they're against Christianity or, you know what I mean? Yes. Absurdities like that. And I personally think it is just white supremacy. I mean, it's, that's the problem in the church. That's, that's why we're having this problem. That's why they read texts the way they do. Um, I, I, I can't really see it any other way. I think that's why it's working. 
That's why that's why Owen Strachan or however you say his oh name. Oh my! How is that write dude still a thing? Crappy book and have everyone following him. It's it's you know. And, I mean, and when I say yeah, God, white God. supremacy, I'm obviously talking about you know systems and structures that we all participate in. But I'm also talking about churches and denominations and ideologies and specific practices and outreach programs and family programs within the church and all those things are also built around white supremacy as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. But there's also like, I would say the majority of the people within the Christian church, if you ask them, um, how do we explain the vast economic disparities between African-Americans and white Americans, for example, like yep. what's the reasoning? Then right. you're going to hear, you're going to hear culture, which really just boils down to behavior. Yep. They believe there's group wide poor behaviors, inferior behaviors of a whole people group. That's right. That justify vast economic disparities and across the board inequalities. Right. That's right. That's right. Even though we have American history just sitting right behind us that we could just glance over at in a right. second. Right? right. So that, that to me is a tell that is individual racism. You do think that people are inferior. We do have a, a social system, a social philosophy in America that is post hoc, broadly speaking, whatever the outcome is, is just, mm. right? Because we already believe the system is just and righteous and good, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, right. have you thought about that before? It's a trip. Like, like we actually mm. just even broader than the discussion of race, like you can read uh, discussions in, in other maybe European societies and, and you can see it well, the, the way outcomes, um, the way uh, goods and services are being distributed is very uneven. So, right, then there's something within the system that must be unjust, right? right. Because we're looking to the outcome as a measure of the system itself. Right. Whereas it seems like most people in America, and I think Christians in particular, lean this way is like, no, 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 no. I know, like, I know analytically based on the Bible or something else that the system is just therefore whatever the distribution is, is also just regardless of how much disparity there is and beyond. Right. So we begin to blame, blame victims of systems, right. For their own victimization. Yes. This is used by Ali B. Sucky a lot. It's used by a lot of talk radio. They say, Oh, socialism is, is, is the same outcome essentially. Right. Like, and that, that, that's one of their big things is like, you can't regulate, you know, an equal outcome. And I think that is that kind of what you're talking about here of like, that's that system at work. At a very, at a very basis. I mean, one doesn't have to say, let's create a system where outcomes are individually equal across the board in order to realize that distributive outcomes are a measure of determining the justice of an economic system, right? Mm, If it consistently throughout human history produces a huge poor class and an uber wealthy class and the distance between them is constantly growing. Right. I can't just always look back at the system and say, I don't know, there's nothing wrong in there. Right. 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 So, so, and that's not arguing that there has to be, you know, across the board, the, you know, equality of individual at the individual level, but the discussion is even stronger when it comes to racial outcomes, because we as Christians at the very least should realize that race is not real, right? It's a social right. construction, it's something that was created historically. So, so if, if outcomes are distributing, uh, being distributed along artificial lines that we as a society have created, right? 
then mm. it's, a, it's the most natural answer is to say that that those disparities are not natural. They're not normal. They're not right. just. They're right. as created as the people groups were themselves created historically. Wow. And the fact that that we as Christians, right, can then look at people that we love to say we're all made of one blood and, you know, like all of our arguments against racism, but then just assume that like one huge class of people completely ignoring our history are in the circumstances that they're in because of their own right. behaviors Hard that are work. inferior to mine. They just right? worked harder. It's like, exactly. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. So, so the very fact that that exists is a tell to me that there is a, a, a diminution and a devaluation of non-white peoples in America, very commonly within evangelical churches, even yeah. at the individual level. I mean, I, I, I think honestly, your assessment is, is really on the money. And I think a lot of people are realizing that. I also find it interesting how, you know, it, man, I, it's tough because I always tell like, you know, people on my account and we say on the podcast a lot, we're not trying just to take big shits on the church. Like I, I don't want to destroy the church. Right. But right. certainly we're here to reform it. Like, no. And that is a healthy, like Christian tradition. And right. and it, it, it kills me that that the same people who will be like, oh, Derek Bell, he has Marxist roots, which he, he doesn't even have that. But let's just say that that was true. Right. You know, they'll, they're the same people who are part of the SBC, which was founded over slavery. Like, like right. they, they yeah. can critique other people's historical traditions, right. but their own. Well, that yeah. was in the past. We can't. Yeah. No, no, no. We didn't mean it like that. It's just it, it's really a lack. It, man, it really ties into me or for me, it ties into this whole evangelical culture of really we're here to judge the world and just, and, and, and we're perfect pretty much. It is completely a one-sided, you know, morality uh, with no sense of internal repentance, internal systemic reflection. I mean, you know, I'm sure John Piper's church is under way hot water right now. Right. John MacArthur was hiding a COVID outbreak. Mark Driscoll, yeah. 40 elders the other day told him that said that he needs to resign and he still won't. And these people go on like it's no big deal. Right. And church culture has there's no conferences around church abuse. There's conferences, right. conferences around CRT, though, you know, and that oh, just yeah. shows like like where the where the the focus is not on our institutions, not on us, but on everyone out there because they're the threat. And it, it's right. problematic. Yeah, I, I agree with every word. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, as we kind of wrap up, let me ask you this. How, what do you think the future of the evangelical church is right now? I mean, you know, going forward, I see kind of two things happening and I, I want to get your thoughts on this. On one side, we see a, re a retrenchment, right? We see people who are like the, the fundamentalists, the, 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 the far right reformed, the James Whites of the world, you know, just really like barreling down that far right rabbit hole of now even conspiracy theory land, you know, right. all for the sake of the gospel, the, the, the Doug Wilsons who are gaining steam again, right? Mm -hmm. And then I see that there are people who are just ignorant. Like they just attend church once a week and they're like, yep, everything's fine. I sing my songs. I give my tithe. I, I hear a feel good sermon. I go home. And then you have people like me, probably like you who are, in the, or maybe have went through like this, like deconstruction period. And we're trying to think about the faith more critically and how does this all work? And is the faith even worth salvaging right now? And I think where a lot of us land is the Christian tradition is wide and beautiful, but this evangelical bubble is like really problematic. Right. <laughs> you got to deal with it. So right. where do you think like, like the direction of the evangelical church, where are we heading with this? Do you think in your best guesstimate? Well, I think that, you know, I hate to 
since I'm into critical race theory to sound like uh, one note here, but um, I do think uh, because of the way America was created, right. Yeah. And the way the yeah. church developed in America, uh, racism is like a central aspect, right? Mm. I mean, other nations developed class systems, um, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, land, um, roots, you know, like to tribes or something, or, you know, maybe family names, like different nations created different caste systems that live with them to this day. The one we created here is the, everyone is created equal, right? And less they're a pagan from Africa, mm. right? So that's kind of how we created our economic system. That's kind of how the basic, you know, aspect of American churches going all the way back to, you know, Cotton Mather explaining like, no, 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 you can convert your slave. And because it doesn't affect their social circumstances or their status in life, right? Right. So, whoa, that's weird. So that's the church of basic Christian principle for the right. American church to develop right? mental so, ascension, just mentally ascent and you're good. Right. Right. But you can see how those things flow out and sort of live with us today. And so I tend to think that either there's going to be, you know, a strong retrenchment in another 70 years of tacking, right. Which I think is very possible, especially when people that we consider allies would prefer to say things like, well, you know, the causes of, uh, of, um, Racial disparity, they're complex, you know, we just let's leave it at that. You know what I mean? Yes, and then that becomes yes. like the comfortable place for everyone to land. I could see us heading there, um, but I truly think that it's going to be, it needs to be something more like, I, I tend to think of following the Exodus, right? Like, mm. are you going to join the religion of Egypt Right. Or you know, right. enjoying the religion of of all the slaves who have been let out by God under Moses, right? Yeah, which, which is more attractive? And, and oddly enough, in this country, I guess white evangelicalism is still more attractive. But I think that I do think that that uh, black churches and you know minoritized people groups that they are going to be the way forward for evangelicalism in America, just based upon the history and experiences um, that uh, these people groups have gone through. Um, And and it's something one should expect when reading the Bible, just kind of like how God is. Oh, the big superpower, eh? Ah, Yeah, right. You know? We'll see how long that lasts. I'll I'll show you where my church is going to be and where my people are going to be, you know? Yeah. You know, And, and then of course, we know who Christ identifies with, overtly right you know right. so I, I think that that to my mind that's going to be a path forward and and in as much as that we can obviously as they say get our people right <laughs> we got to get our people but to to amplify um these others voices that i've already created like strong movements within the christian church and you know have people listening and i, I don't know for me like as much as much uh effort and we can lend to that cause probably overall is it is going to be the way forward yeah um rather than just you know another group of white people making a new denomination or something totally. where we totally. believe in justice and you know no i completely <laughs> agree that again. no i'm um, with you all the way i i, I just finished reading um um unsettling truths by mark charles and um um Okay. Uh, Soong Cha Ra, 
Yeah, I haven't about, read that. Oh, I would it's, love it's to. Doctrine of Discovery, yeah. kind of history on that. It's it's really good. But um, right. just I'm just realizing more and more, like what you said, white men can't be centered on this conversation. You know, like like it would be un, it would be totally inappropriate for me to come into this space. Like, guys, don't worry. I read a couple of books, got the answers. Follow me. Like, that, right. That's just like not the place, right? And right. certainly, we all have lanes. I mean, I grew up as a drummer in worship circles. I can speak to that really well. But when right. it comes to this topic and like this particular struggle, I think to 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 be someone part of the process of healing is to be part of the struggle, not to be the right. answer to the struggle. Right. And then it's a big difference, you know. Right. Um, you know that. And, so yeah, I think so. more and more we're going to see people that are going to join, you know, traditionally black churches, you know, uh, you know, Korean PCA rather than, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. normal Cumberland Confederate PCA, or you know, like those things are going to change. I think, and I think you know, organizations like the SBC are just going to break. I I think that's just my opinion because I can't imagine being right now, knowing if I were in that convention, knowing I was in that convention with, you know, the Toms, Tom Askell and Buck and all of these people, like how can they be pastors in the convention that I'm in? It's just, it would be insane. I wouldn't be able to handle that at all. And I don't think the trage- trajectory, there is a, a way that everybody's going to remain within that same convention. No, I mean, that, there's uh, a reason why evangelical church attendance is under 50% for the first time in American history. You know, is like, that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that came out, I think, in 2020 last year by, by Pew Research. And like, I mean, there's no doubt. For, forget all of like the whys. The data says like the evangelical church is shrinking, and right. you know there's a lot of reasons for that. And this is one of the big ones, along with sexual abuse and power abuse. I mean, the, mm-hmm. it's a big concoction here, you know. Yeah. And I really, I'm kind of in your camp where I'm convinced that if the evangelical institution as a whole, including some of the big players, the AG, the SBC, if they don't do a good, long, deep, hard look at who they're centering and their in their systems of power and how they're right. actually hurting people people consistently, these aren't one-offs, um, right. you know, they're, they're going to be in for a rude awakening. And I think in 10 to 20 years from now, especially as a lot of them die off, frankly, just from their age and people right. who are younger start replacing them. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. But it can't be replaced with colorblindness though, either. No, I totally <laughs> like it has been. I mean, yeah. historically you just create a whole, uh, that, that's one of the things about the church is uh, maintaining purity means like, staying the same, you know, across mm. the board. And so institutions tend to just continue to replicate themselves regardless of who's yeah. in charge. You know, that's a good point. But well, Brad, listen, on that note, we'll, we'll end it here. Um, man, covered a whole lot. We started in yeah. Marxism, ended in current evangelicalism. Yeah. I appreciate you coming right. on. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and just sharing like what you've been reading. And also I, I really do love that like I had you on because a lot of us, I think are like, we can never learn this. And the truth is you can, you can read the sources. You can, you can understand what's happening. Um, what do you have any good sources for like someone like, you know, who's, who's maybe listening saying, where do I even start with some of this stuff? Any good, just like real easy read sources to start with. Right. Well, I mean, I hate to plug myself, but I try to write a fair number of those on my website, also right. carpenter.com. So I have, you know, large intros, medium-sized intros, small intros, answering specific questions like is critical race theory racist or is mm. critical race theory Marxist or what's is systemic racism? So I've written a lot on that. Obviously, uh, Nathan Cartagena's site is another so place to go and read through. Um, 
And, and I suggest those because I know that both of he and I are writing from that perspective, right? Yes. Uh, people yes. who have grown up in evangelicalism, um, obviously he and I social locations are quite a bit different, but yep. I think we come at it with largely the same belief system and that we know like the people we're talking to. <laughs> no, so, totally. you know, that's I mean, kind of how it's written. So you, yeah. like, I love, I, I do like the intros, like, um, like uh, Delgado and Stefankix. I think that's a perfectly serviceable introduction to critical race theory, but it's not really like talking to us. So he's not not trying to say certain things or or when he says certain things that are like scary, but wouldn't be scary to anyone unless you were evangelical. He doesn't bother to flesh it all out. You right, know what I mean? Right, so, right, right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And honestly, uh, the, the one you guys did with Southside Rabbi, I think it was, I think it was four parts total. And then it ended with both of you guys. I, I, I plugged right. that episode. It's so good. And then also Nate did one with uh, Gravity Leadership. It's like a four-part series mm-hmm. that's just... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's I great. mean, he just brings through the whole history of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Well, that's very good. Yeah. Great. And you're also on Twitter, right? What, what What's your Twitter? Uh, just at also a carpenter. So, so heretical. Same name. Who do you same think you name are? Everyone. Yeah, Jesus? I know everyone thinks it's a Jesus juke, but I'm literally a carpenter. So, <laughs> well, I grew up, I, I grew up in the <laughs> trades. I grew up in construction, so I get it. But, um, oh, yeah. anyway, again, Brad, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. And we'll do this again soon. Oh, definitely. Thank you.